Let me just pray for a minute here. Heavenly Father, I just ask, Lord, that you just take control of my mouth, that your wisdom, like was said earlier, would just be downloaded, and that someone out here will see themselves in what I've gone through, and that someone who's thinking about coming to you or not sure about you or is wayward, that they would come back to you, that they would run back to you. And I pray that no one makes the mistakes that I make, but if they do, Lord, I know that you have a beautiful testimony for them as well, and they'll be able to help others. And I just ask, Lord, that the only thing that's seen today is you and your power and your glory and how awesome you are, and you are a miracle-working God, and you are in control, on the throne at all times, and that you are in us, in with us, even when we're in the fire, even when we run away from you, and even when we're walking our own path, you are still preparing our future for us, you are still preparing for us, you're, you're taking care of every need and everything that we could ever desire, even when we don't know what we should be desiring. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. I will probably be reading a lot of this as I am not a public speaker. <laughs> um, I've spent two long treks away from God. Uh, both of them were a lengthy spiral into darkness. They were by my choice. And um, after these two treks away from God, I have come to the one thing that I think of when I think of God is love. There are so many facets to his love, and I'm going to read this list, and I'm thinking, as you listen, you've experienced at least one of these, and I'm sure we've experienced most of them. He's got affirming love, cleansing love, complete love, convicting love, corrective love, disciplining love, eternal love, forgiving love, free-flowing love, generous love, grace upon grace love, holy and set-apart love, immeasurable love, just love, merciful love, never-ending love, overwhelming love, peace-filled love, perfect love, powerful love, promise-keeping love, protective love, provisional love, pruning love, purifying love, redeeming love, restoring love, sacrificial love, secure love, selfless love, strengthening love, transparent love, unconditional love, unfailing love, virtuous love, and whole love. And all through the Old Testament, a just God with the greatest love is showing us pictures of his plan to exact the payment and the punishment for every sin we've ever committed and ever will commit in order to have a deep, loving fellowship with him for all of eternity. At creation, he gave us absolutely everything in paradise. No toiling, 
to provide our own sustenance, joyous friendship in the garden with God, no pain, no death, no sickness, no sadness. He even gave us a choice to listen to his word and whether we would choose to heed that word. In Jesus' earthly life, he gave us absolutely everything. He gave up his claim to deity, to his deity, so that he could come walk among us and die on a cross and show us how to be a servant. At the cross, he gave us absolutely everything. His only son, Jesus, the spotless, sinless lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice once and for all of our sins. His mind and his heart were focused on his love for me and you, each and every one of us, while he hung on that cross being mocked and scorned and humiliated. And after having been beaten and whipped and torn apart, no longer recognizable through all of the blood and swelling and bruising and torn flesh, with all of that on his mind, he was thinking of me, he was thinking of you. And he was focused on us being forgiven. He was focused on us being cleansed from a guilty conscience. He was focused on us being set free from the heavy oppression and slavery to sin. He was focusing on us being restored to relationship with a father for eternity. And all of this while we were his enemies. Pure grace hung on that cross. Pure and perfect love hung on that cross. So I told you that I've walked away from God twice, and both times were for 10 years apiece. And if I didn't learn anything the first time in the pit, I endured an even deeper plunge the second time. So like the Israelites, I am a stiff-necked person. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, God gave me this verse while I was reading, and I decided to um, use it as kind of my anchor. It's Jonah 2.8, and I'll read it in two different translations. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. That's the NIV, and then I like the Amplified. Those who regard and follow worthless idols turn away from their living source of mercy and loving kindness. And I did that. I did it wholeheartedly. So why do we cling to idols and turn away from God's great love? And why do we turn away from our living source of mercy and loving kindness? My example is not knowing God. For most Christians, I think he's just a concept and hasn't become a reality. Not knowing ourselves. For me, I didn't truly believe the good things that God said about me in his word. And not recognizing the enemy's lies. If you don't know God and you don't know yourself, that leaves you wide open for his deception and the enemy bombards us by the minute with his lies and his deception. So what do we set up as idols? All of God's good blessings are susceptible to our temptation to make them our, a, a worthless idol and to focus on them, focus all our attention on them and our heart's desires on them. So some, I'm sure there's many, but mine are relationships. I worship the thought of having a spouse that would actually love and value me. Status, I worshiped being respected for my academic excellence or my, uh, my work ethic. 
money and possessions, I coveted others' blessings without realizing the ashes that led to those beautiful blessings. Self, I was not accountable to God and I worked overtime to control everything in my life and I made myself an idol. I made myself my God and my pride. I took credit for all of my success. Whether it was success or not, I would take credit for everything I did. I made it happen. And our gifts and talents, we have a tendency to use our God-given gifts for selfish gain. And when they were given to us, they were not just given to us for our own selfish gain. They were given to us for the benefit of others. So looking back over my life, it's been a constant undercurrent of depression and a silent inner cry or scream to be loved and not be left alone. I've traced the genesis of this back to my parents' divorce when I was three and my brother was one. And one day, my world turned around completely. I went from being with my mom 24-7 and seeing my dad every evening after work to living two hours away from my dad and my mom working two jobs and now Dave and I are going to caregivers' homes. And in the late 60s and the early 70s, it was a common practice that you would just go to somebody's house and there would be lots of kids there. And we didn't have all these great, you know, hover over your child, be a helicopter parent. It was, they'll be okay, they'll, they'll be fine. So there we are, we're in these caregivers' homes being babysat and um, we're no longer one-on-one -on -one attention. And what attention was given was perfunctory or obligatory at best. At 10 years old, my family moved from Michigan to Beaumont. And this limited time that I was spending with my dad, even more. So now it was maybe one or two weeks in the summer, and I remember seeing him for a whole week at Thanksgiving one time. But getting on a plane to leave my dad each time was heart-wrenching. And knowing I may not see him for a whole year only heightened that pain. So I didn't find, I always assumed that he left us. And I didn't find out until I was 19 that my mom was the one that chose to leave. And so I grew up assuming that a man left us. And I guess I, that led to craving that attention or needing that. So... I also assumed that I was the reason that they got the divorce because I was a surprise. And although they were dating and they were planning on getting married after my mom went to college, they had to get married because of me. And I never doubted for a moment my mom and my dad's love for me. They loved me very much. My mom was my biggest cheerleader and would cheer me on any endeavor, no matter what I was doing. My dad was always a proud dad when I would arrive in Michigan for a visit, he'd parade me all over work and he'd parade me all over town and introduce me to a bunch of old people that I'm not gonna remember anyways. And he always called me his ravishing daughter even on the last visit that we went up there in um, 2017, 2018. We went up to see him and he still, um, on his dying bed, he still called me his ravishing daughter. Most of my life, I believe they were compelled to say these things. That they, they couldn't possibly mean them. They, they were my parents and they had to say them. This is before I had a child and didn't know any better. So 
I know that we say those things now because we actually really do mean them. I, uh, however, I chose to believe the comments by other family members that um, I thought that they were more objective, and so I believed their labels, and their labels were unkind, and they were uninspiring, and they were unloving, and frankly, they were crushing. So I played these labels on high speed in my mind 24-7 for all, almost 50 years. I became consumed with being on my best behavior to please people who were in my world so one, I would not be alone, and two, I would work really hard to make them love me enough not to leave. At 16, I accepted Jesus as my savior. It was short-lived. <laughs> I was serving in ev any and every ministry that crossed my path, and for three years I was extremely legalistic and began feeding my pride over all the things that I was doing for God. As pride goes before a fall, I opened myself to falling deeply into sin. During that same time, at 18, I uh, got engaged to an evangelist student, and he lived five hours away, and he was not who God chose for me. He was tormented soul, and he was in dire need of Jesus. And over the next year, I discovered how dark and godless he was. When preaching at churches, he portrayed this relationship to be in right standing with God's word, but he had no concern for my best interest. It seriously messed up my head for what I was to expect in a relationship with a man of God. At the same time, I was serving in Beaumont, uh, in an inner city chapel ministry and an outreach community alongside a fairly new Christian who was married and he was making advances. So I attempted to remove myself from that situation, from that temptation by going to the pastor of our mother church and asked to resume my teaching and singing in the choir back at that church. And he told me that I cannot have my old posts back and that we're not going to talk about this anymore because this man has a family and um, he called my fiance and told him to get here quickly and straighten her out and the story after that when I left the church was that I was a Jezebel and that no one believed my story so when he got down to Beaumont to straighten me out I ended the engagement that day and I left the church angry and humiliated and walked away from God for the next 10 years. So fear of being alone and not loved drove all of my decisions. Instead of running to God though, I just ran to another idol. One time after another, looked at another person, another thing, even myself, instead of leaning on God. I spent so many years unsuccessfully pining to be preferred, longing to be loved, craving companionship, and fretting about being forsaken or forgotten. I felt the agony of wanting desperately for people to be all of those things for me, and God showed me two things. It took a long time for him to show me these things, but that one, he's already and always will be, all of those things for me and only he can satisfy and only he can be all those things. And the second thing, I was doing to him exactly what those people were doing to me. 
I preferred and chose idols over him. I loved others versus him, although it wasn't really love if I was doing it just to affect a result. I craved companionship from anyone but him. Even when it was unhealthy, dysfunctional, or abusive, it wasn't alone. <laughs> so I forgot him and I forsook him. And each decision away from God took me further into the pit of destruction. Within seven months of running away from God, I was living with a guy and asked, who asked me to marry him. And he was the third guy to ask me to marry him. And I thought, three's it. I'm never going to get asked again. And I'm going to die an old spinster if I don't get married. So I went ahead and married this guy. On my wedding day, I was at the lowest weight I've ever been in my entire life. And this is due because it's all because I was arguing with him all the time, fighting, and a lot of emotional manipulation. And guess what? It didn't get any better after getting married. So that marriage lasted less than five years. I began a friendship after that with Chase's dad at work, and within months, he moved into my home, and a year and a half later, we married. From the start, I was not his first choice to spend time with. He partied with me unless the something better came up. And we were drinking partners, and I eventually gave into smoking pot for five years, and I tried a lot of different drugs. I got tired of the partying lifestyle eventually and chose to go back to church after my brother invited me to his baptism in October of 1996. The marriage progressively got lonelier as I stopped partying and returned to walking with the Lord. I was already the enemy because our lives and mindsets were opposite in every way, but now there was jealousy over the attention I gave God and my time serving the church and taking away from my spouse, even though he gave preference to spending time with his parting friends over me in the first place. Since I chose a person when I was away from God, when I returned to God, I had difficulty serving and devoting myself to both God and my spouse. I had the audacity to tell God that I'm doing my part, I'm doing X, Y, Z, and now you're supposed to bless this mess that I chose to make with my life. <laughs> I spent more time in the Word, though, and I was at church and with family and Christian friends, and he ran to his friends who desired his, or shared his desire to party. I do not have this in my notes, but during this time, my best friend who's here today and I, we, we reconnected today. I was in the choir with her and I was so lonely at home. I'm going off script, sorry. I was so lonely at home in this marriage. I kept praying for a year. God, I need a friend. I need, I need a Christian friend. I need a friend. I need a friend. And all, like a, a year, we were sat next to each other in the choir and we'd laugh and we'd just have a really good time and I kept praying this prayer, Lord, I, I really need a friend, I really need a friend. And one day he was just like, hello. She's been sitting right next to you for a whole year. And uh, so we were best friends for 13 years, of course, until I walked away from God the second time. But we're back together, so that's good. <laughs> Praise God. So prior to age 30, I didn't want children. 
I was uh, selfish and watching other people's children be disrespectful to their parents and um, throwing temp temper tantrums, it just kind of ruined it for me. The thought of having kids was just not an option. But my niece, Chelsea, changed my heart. I didn't know that I could have love for someone like that, um, someone else's child. And um, so at 30, all of a sudden, I wanted a, a child quite, <laughs> quite urgently. And it took six years of praying and crying and believing, and Tiffany was one of my main prayer partners over that. And we cried and prayed a lot over whether I would ever have a child. And on the seventh year, I had Chase, and he arrived three and a half weeks early on Christmas Eve, and he's the best Christmas gift I've ever received in my life. At 40, my mom passed. Her passing totally wrecked me on being alone because I essentially lost my mom, my best friend, my biggest cheerleader, even though I didn't believe what she said, <laughs> and a surrogate spouse, basically, all in one event. So now, alone and angry, a spiral begins. So my warning is from Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry, but yet do not sin. And do not let your anger last until the sun goes down. And do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. At this very point, God was stripping my world down to have no one but him to run to, but I chose to angrily blame him for allowing my life to burn down around me to the ground. I chose to run to yet another idol. I was still serving at church for everything I could. I justified this by I'm keeping my son immersed in church and around church family, but I was now serving in the flesh with a resentful heart. And I was staying busy and not dealing with my grief. I was nurturing my anger toward God for not answering my prayers the way I wanted him to. I thought that he should heal my mom. I thought he should save my husband. My husband's unavailable is even more apparent at this point, and um, his addictions had escalated to a variety of prescription medications and illegal narcotics at an accelerated frequency. The home was becoming an unsafe environment for a four-and-a-half-year-old, and I was on a high alert at all times. I started going to Al-Anon to help me to cope with the addictions that I knew about, and we supported him through going through a couple of rehabs unsuccessfully. My brother's family moved to a tiny piece of heaven called Bernie about a year after my mom passed, and my stepdad was busy dating, and I found myself more alone and more overwhelmed than I had been prior to any point in my life. Obviously, I was still dealing with the consequences of my poor decisions, as if they should magically disappear or God owed me for being a legalistic follower. I was essentially gripping a closed fist and demanding that God put a blessing in this as I squeezed tightly. You need to put a blessing in here. I discussed with my husband that a divorce was necessary and Chase can't be in this unsafe, dysfunctional environment. 
I searched for a job for a year to be able to provide, and once I found the job, I moved in with my stepdad temporarily. I ended up seeking Christian counsel amongst my church family. However, the counsel, the counsel turned out to be a number of church husbands counseling other church wives. I don't recommend this practice ever. I chose to betray a friend, married her husband twice, and reluctantly dated him on and off for two years in between the two marriages. For someone who feared being alone, this was jumping into a vacuum of loneliness. Now I had absolutely no friends, I had no church, I had no God, I had no friends for my child, I had no communication for a year with close family, and it was just me, my son, and this wrong and deadly relationship that promotes only darkness and loneliness. Abuse of every kind followed, and it increased over the time, and it escalated in the second time around. I lied to myself to avoid facing the reality of the prison that I had built. There was no God in my life. There was no God in my home. There was no God in any of my relationships, and the home was surrounded in a heavy, evil darkness. I chose to drag my child through this chaos for 10 years. We both were treated as unwelcome guests in the home, and the tension and the hate in the home was oppressive. During the two years that followed the first divorce to this man, we intermittently dated. I was working on myself with secular self-help studies, and I relied a lot on Dr. Phil, and I worked through the autopsies of all the relationships just to figure out why I was doing what I'm doing and what's wrong with my behavior. The on-again, off-again dating was due in part to me working on getting somewhat healthier and no longer accepting some of the toxicity. And he seemed to be making big steps as well. However, I would later discover that he was merely repeating what was in the books and deceitfully being on his better behavior until he could win me back. As soon as we were remarried the living in a joint and living in a jointly purchased home, there was an immediate about face, and this time around the mountain was the most treacherous. We tried couples therapy, and he was unwilling to put forth any effort to change, and during a heated, drunken argument, I received a, ha a hateful desire on his part to destroy me and take me for all I'm worth, and I received a death threat and this was the climax of his cruelty. So this is May of 19. I left the home. There was a protective order in place for a year while Chase and I relocated, and the divorce was finalized, and no communication, and not living in the same house with him did not make life serene. I lived in sheer terror for the next 12 months that I may be being stalked or followed by him or someone he might have included in the, in the fun and um, maybe wanted to teach me a lesson. And at this point, I had just set up two more idols for myself. I set up the company that I worked for as my security that year as it's a gated, uh, protected place, and that was the only place I felt safe. I also felt guilty that my son was on the outside of those gates and my abuser could target him to hurt me. 
the other idol I set up was that now that I'm solely responsible to be the provider, that company became my source. So from May 19 all the way to February of 2020, uh, because I feared being stalked and followed, I stopped going to the usual places and seldom went anywhere with my coworkers. That's all I had left. I didn't have anybody else. And I turned more heavily to drinking wine as soon as I returned home from work. I didn't like myself at all, and now I'm stuck with myself, and I'm my only company. I came to the conclusion that I'm not meant to have someone special, because whether I was walking with God or not, it was always bad, and each time it got worse. I began my broken crawl back to God, and then, however, my incorrect view of God heavily influenced the idea that he was looking at me with disdain and telling me, well, you made that mess and you deserved every bit of the pain and the rejection and the condemnation. I know we all know that that's not true. That's not the God, the, the God that we serve, but that's what I was listening to. The enemy was pounding at home. So while watching Dr. Phil one day, he introduced Joel Osteen promoting his book, The Power of I Am. Joel spoke of aligning our thoughts about ourselves with the word of God and speaking out loud the scriptures that, re, that he repeats over and over and over all through the word of how much he loves us and his thoughts and promises towards us are always for good. While I waited on this book to arrive, I started binge watching Joel's decades of sermons while I drank my wine. Never doubt the power of the Holy Spirit. He can change and affect our lives even with a lot of wine, although don't test the theory. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. So every single scripture reference that Joel stated, I would look it up and I'd read all around it to make sure that it wasn't being twisted or um, conformed to what we already believe. And every one of them was true and was there. And I wrote them all down and read them out loud over myself every morning. And at this point, I'm just going through the motions. I'm just reading them out loud, but I'm hoping that I'm going to start believing them and I'm going to see a change in my whole life. I read about four more Osteen books, and in addition to that, I was watching Joseph Prince, and I read his book, The Prayer of Protection, which is Psalm 91, and I started speaking this out over myself and my household daily. February 2020 rolls around, and we've got COVID-19 hit. God was moving everything one by one out of my heart's line of vision, and it took a pandemic. God allowed the shutdown of the globe to get me to redirect my heart's focus on him. In the, in the prior months, all that pain and terror, he was already equipping me with these things that I had been reading out over myself and the power of protection. April 1st of 2020, I closed on my current home, all remotely because we were in quarantine. And shortly after that, Dave and LaDonna and the family came over and anointed the home and anointed me and Chase. By June of 2020, I was binge-watching Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen and Jensen Franklin, Robert Morris and Joseph Prince. I'm also struggling still with my eating habits and addiction to wine, so nightly I'm feeding my addiction while I watch sermons and read books about faith and changing my words. 
And after I blew it on eating and drinking, every night I went to bed begging God to destroy the yoke of addiction to wine and my addiction to food, that I would have a healthy relationship with food. And I prayed this nightly for a year. July of 2020, the company that um, I was working for had told the public that they were not going to cut jobs due to COVID, but they decided a different method of ranking people. They added needs significant improvement. And so they were given a number of people that they were to rank this way in each of the groups, and they said, it's your choice, you just pick them. So when you, I got ranked, need significant improvement, and by the way, I am not a need significant improvement employee. <laughs> the choices that you had when you were ranked that way were you can retire if you're eligible, you can resign with a small severance in the middle of COVID, or you can do a performance improvement plan or a PIP and if you don't pass that, then you'll be terminated at the end anyways. So I chose the PIP, and for three months straight, I worked 13 plus hours a day, seven days a week. I didn't get to see my son the entire summer. I saw him, but I didn't get to spend time with him. They kept moving the finish line while I was on this plan, and they kept adding more projects and tasks. I was learning that God is my source and my security. I was working diligently, to press in to trust him with every aspect of this storm that I was going through. He kept reassuring me that whether I pass this test or not, he provides all my stuff, everything, my job. He would give me another job, it'll be better. He doesn't close one door and then not open another one. He was showing me that that company's not my source. He's my source. So he's stripping away two idols in one shot. I ended up passing. I passed the plan and found out months later when I was assigned a mentor who's really high up in the company that they were told that if someone chooses the PIP to make that pass, to make it really impossible to, to pass. And God is the only reason that I passed. August 1st of 2020, when I was watching Joel Osteen, he proclaimed that this time next year, you'll be amazed at what God has done in one year of your life. I put that on my calendar for August 1st, 21, and I forgot all about it. August 2020 through May of 21, God's dealing with me to start going to church in person somewhere. And I argue with him weekly that, no, I like it here on the couch in my PJs. I don't want to go. There's people there. <laughs> I also don't want to encounter anyone from my past church. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be judged. And he also told me that I can't just keep sitting here receiving this word and not take it out and put it into practice. I, he wanted me to start putting everything that he was teaching me for the past two years. You've got to put it into practice. So I thought, well, I'll compromise. I'll make Chase sit here on the couch with me and do church. <laughs> so I'm doing something good. So I stayed in my, <laughs> stayed in my living room, but I'm doing good, Lord. I'm, <laughs> I'm making him go to church. February of 21, winter storm Yuri hit our area, and it froze over two of the natural gas wells that our company uses to get the natural gas. 
Most of the refinery shut down. Many departments and refineries in other cities and management at the site were now coming to me with questions about power sales and the price of nat gas skyrocketing because of this availability, questions about how to predict how much we're going to pay for energy this month and how much we're going to make on power sales. Suddenly, I'm the expert. This would have never been possible without that improvement plan that I successfully completed with God's favor. In May of 21, on Mother's Day, LaDonna's sister, Lexi, texted me out of the blue. She told me that she'd been attending Praise Church since October, and many times it was by herself, and she was tired of going alone. She asked if I would come sit with her. I was in the middle of making my stepdad's birthday lunch and cake, so I told her, I'd sent her a picture so she'd know I wasn't lying. I said, I, I can't do it today, but I asked her, and I knew this was God's doing because Lexi and I do not, we see each other when we come over here to see Dave and LaDonna. Um, so recognizing that this is God's doing, I asked her if she goes every week, and she said when she's in town, she goes. And I told her that I'd go with her next week, and I did. And I realized that the enemy was telling me, you don't want to go get judged, you don't want to, but he was lying to me to keep me from that corporate worship. It was so cleansing and freeing, and I knew that all of that was all God providing. June of 21, I started following a keto eating plan, which required giving up wine. <laughs> all of the praying for a year for a healthy relationship with food and deliverance from alcohol, God delivered in one shot. It was easy by the grace of God, and it took 19 months to lose 57 pounds, and I've been set free from wine for over two years, and he gave me a lifestyle I can follow for the rest of my life without any effort, thanks to him. <laughs> July of 21, our pastor kept telling us, a small group is where you're going to really grow spiritually need to get into a small group. So I looked online, and the only group I was drawn to was full. It was women 50 and beyond with Vera Lloyd, and I had no idea who this leader was. It turns out it's the pastor's mom. And after I sent an email whining about why this is the group I need to be in, can please make an exception, um, she invited me in with open arms and open heart. I hit the spiritual mama jackpot, when I joined, and God gave me the very best mentor in the group in Vera, in the pastor's mom. Um, she also goes by Mimi, which was my mom's grandma's nickname. And uh, she has been a tremendous mentor, and like my mom. Um, I started gaining a realization that God was loving me through these women. And I started picking up some of the women who don't drive at night, so that just so they could be together, but that blessed me tremendously. The car trip conversations and building a strong bond with these women is something to cherish forever. In this group, God began growing my passion for widows. Listening to their stories, God made me sensitive to their needs. Missing the loves of their lives, they shared wonderful memories of their husbands. Loneliness, their families are busy with their young or younger ones' schedules or 
make assumptions that they're fine, they're alone, they're fine. Feelings of being forgotten or abandoned, broken or non-existent relationships with their adult children. In August of 21, my abuser passed away after a second round of COVID. I found out from Dave, who had found out from another friend of his. It was surreal. Now, I have asked God's forgiveness for all of this, but I was relieved. I felt bad that I was relieved that someone would pass away, but all of a sudden I could breathe and I could drive around town and not worry that somebody's following me, somebody's trying to harm me. His first wife, whom I betrayed, had to contact me for historical information regarding the house and other things. I asked for her forgiveness and we had not been able to communicate since 2010. She told me she forgave me a long time ago and had missed me and loves me. So much shame was lifted in one moment. I invited her to a sup uh, couple of the small group meetings and to church and she went with me to both a few times and we sat together. And that brings me to the one year mark and Joel was right. I was amazed at all God did in one year. For the next year, I began treating my relationship with God as though he were a person right in front of me, my best friend, my spouse, my everything. I visualized him eagerly waiting over my bed in the morning to talk and love one another. And when I opened my eyes, I was excited Somebody's here and wants to love me, wants to spend time with me. I was growing content and liking myself and seeing myself the way he sees me. I worked on the words that I speak. So many verses I quoted constantly in prayer over my mouth to use it only for God. I focused on how can I be a blessing to somebody today, every day. How can I show someone that God loves them the way he loves me? <laughs> I was working on trusting God completely, being a good steward with his money, dealing with starting over financially multiple times, put me in a deep hole to climb out of. But God is my provider. I was no longer in fear at all. 1 John 4:18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. He had answered all, delivered me out of all my fears. He had answered my prayer to not be alone, not be forsaken, not be forgotten. He delivered me out of every one of those fears. August of 22, I was asked to participate in a small group panel at church. And in the days that followed, church members that heard my story kept encouraging me and pointing out that my transparency inspired them to join small groups. The next week I began serving weekly at the church kiosk to try to get other people to sign up for small groups, realizing the benefit and the value of growing together in community. And I am not a person that runs around looking for friends, so this was a pure act of God. <laughs> Each step was growing my trust and dependency on God to follow wherever he leads, as my quiet time with the Lord became more intimate and sweeter, he, was, he began dealing with me on sharing and teaching others about the value and benefit of really getting to know God. 
I was experiencing joy and contentment, and it's just me and you, God, and I finally knew I was loved beyond measure. I was never alone. He has always been faithful. He has kept me in his watchful eye, carrying me even when I didn't know it. I was finally free. The next day, after the small group panel, I was contacted by text by a man at church who had already been able to speak to the other panel members about serving meals to the less fortunate. I had a knee-jerk reaction because of my past dealings with men, and I was not too happy that the church gave out my number to just anybody who requested it, and I was unclined in my declining to serve. A church staff member told me that this man was legit. He's a great guy. He works with the less fortunate, without homes, and I apologized the next day. And the next few days, as I retold my story with remorse, over my behavior to many people, they kept telling me, oh yeah, he's a great guy. He's, his whole family, they're a great guy. They serve in all facets of church. October of 22 uh, was serve day at church and I was painting the handicapped spots at church. And this man, he was finished serving with his group and he came out to introduce himself. And he sat down in the parking lot on the ground while I painted. His name's Al, and he shared that his wife had passed away in February of 21. He shared more about working with his friends without addresses, and I shared that I had a 19-year-old son uh, going to Lamar working on a physics degree. He shared that he hosts a Praise Young Adults, or PYA, small group in his home led by our PYA pastor. He invited Chase to come, and I told, and I was told that I could come too if that would help Chase to attend. I said I'd let Chase know. November of 22, Alan called to invite me to serve at the PYA Christmas Gala. I accepted, uh, and there must have been over 100 kids there. They're not kids, they're young adults. There had to be over 100, and he introduced each one of them by name to me. And after that evening, I was so enamored with these young adults. God had me thinking about them frequently, and I asked Al, how can I partner with you in your small group that he was hosting in his home? And he had been providing dinner for them, and this was my opportunity to start cooking for them every Sunday, and I started this in January of this year. During that same phone call where he asked me to serve at the PYA Gala, he shared his story and he asked to hear my story. He said that uh, he had a Christmas party coming up that he uh, just couldn't go to alone, but he said that he was hoping for a godly, Christ-centered friendship, nothing romantic, an accountability partner. I gave my background, not as in-depth as I just gave you, <laughs> but nonetheless, I shared. I was, <laughs> I figured let's rip the Band-Aid off. And, um, I did say that if, if it's friends, that's fine, but I am not anywhere near ready to even think about dating. I was done. <laughs> so I said I would go to the party. He shared that his passion was for his friends without addresses and had been working with the church in New Orleans for 15 years and in Beaumont for five to six years. And he asked my passion, which I told him was for widows who are lonely and forgotten but had also much love and wisdom to share. 
the two ministries have a lot of my, my background, the forgotten, the forsaken, the uh, overlooked, and uh, it just has been a miraculous watching how I was not going to have anything to do with this ministry. But over the month of December, we served on several functions together at church and got to know each other through a series of non-dates. And uh, feeding the less fortunate serving opportunity came up that month, and I happened to be off for a holiday at work, and he said, you should check it out. I served that day and fell in love with it, and um, I decided to take the rest of the year off that, that particular Tuesday so that I could do this. And it's the same forgotten and forsaken, overlooked um, ministry that I think my heart was always looking for. The following is not to brag about what I'm doing. It's what God is doing. It's the power of God. But since the beginning of this year, I've become a leader of a couple of small groups. I was a table leader at this year's IF gathering, and last year was my first IF gathering ever. We had... We have served together in many functions, um, the two monthly street ministries, feeding, mentoring young adults. I'm now on the prayer team at, on Sundays. And in February uh, of this year, uh, we served as buddies at the Tim Tebow Night to Shine. It's a prom for uh, people with special needs. It was a tremendous blessing to spend the evening with a couple with special needs, and we had the pleasure of being their buddies and it was our first actual date, it was my first prom, and it was Al's birthday. <laughs> so God is so sweet to me. <laughs> so this friendship that God orchestrated without any requests on our behalf has fast-tracked both of our individual spiritual walks, and this in turn causes our relationship to flourish as well as all the relationships that we have with everyone else. It's just filled with peace and joy. In watching Al's love for Jesus, God has given me a tangible example of how much God loves us, how Christ loves the church, and God has cemented in my heart and mind how very much he loves me. A seed has to go alone into the ground, into the darkness. It first has to die and be split open the inner parts laid bare before it go, be, ever begins to grow. It first is growing its roots to gain nourishment and sustenance prior to making its way out of the darkness and striving to reach the light. As it breaks the surface and it is in the light, the tiny sprout starts to flourish more and more as its unseen roots continue to grow deeper and its face is drawn to its light source. This is a picture of my life broken and split open in the darkness so that I had absolutely nothing to bring before God except my broken self, spiritually bankrupt, mourning my sin, no strength to fight him any longer. He put me back together with his living and active word affirming and reaffirming his love for me, growing roots to continually feed, nurture, sustain, strengthen and grow me while I finally broke the surf when I finally broke the surface to be continually in my light source he accelerated my growth and deepened my roots he wastes absolutely nothing that happens in our lives 
everything that happens to us, everything that happens because of us, everything that happens around us. You are not a mistake. I am not a mistake. You are not worthless or nothing. Your past doesn't determine your worth or value. Your bad choices and the results or consequences of those choices do not limit the power of God. The experiences that God allows in your life, good or bad, are producing a resource bank for you to draw from so that you can encounter others that are enduring the same events or experiences, and you will. I wouldn't change one bit of this because it's brought me to this very place spiritually and emotionally. He has developed the character and compassion and a love for others in, and him in me that he intended. He's not finished with me. Philippians 1.6 says he's promised to complete that good work that he started in me. God is always sweetly showing me pictures in my mind's eye of who he is and what he's always working on in me. There are two powerful sights in my heart that God consistently shows to remind me of his incredible mercy that he generously gives to me on a daily basis. The prodigal son returning to his father and the woman who gratefully washes Jesus' feet. Luke 7, 36 through 38 says, when one, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner to, with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Then further down at 44 through 48, then he turned toward the woman and said, to Simon the Pharisee. Do you see this woman? I came to, into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. You cannot know the cost of the depth of my sin and despair that he has not punished me for. But with great mercy, he offered his son's life to take my punishment. He pursued me at the highest cost to bring me back and watched over me daily for my return. He ran to me as I crawled back. I was broken beyond recognition. And he lets me serve him and worship at his feet with more gratitude than I can even express with words. I serve him worshipfully with tears of repentance and gratitude for what he's done to restore and renew every single area of my life and it's because of Jesus. So be encouraged if you're still praying for a loved one who isn't saved yet, or if you're still praying for a wayward believer. God hears those prayers and is always at work. And some of us are stubborn, slow learners. 
we all have to finally come to our, the very end of ourselves. And we have to be poor in spirit and spiritually bankrupt and mourn over our own sin. I am grateful that God made me the way I am. I am no longer questioning him for the way he made me. With the same level of desperation for all the people, things, and dreams that I chased in the past, I want to remain that desperate for God. And in the same way I was so hungry for everything but God in the past, I want to remain ravenous for God and his word. I thank y'all for listening to me today. <laughs>